Hey there, PDX Real Estate Podcast listeners. Before we get into today's show, I've got a real quick announcement for you, and that is that my company, TTM, is still looking to buy fixers and teardowns all over the Portland metro area, even in this post-corona economy that we have going on right now. So if you have anything that comes across your desk that may not fit the retail market, we'd love to hear from you. All you got to do is go to our website, which is ttmdevelopmentcompany.com. There's a contact us tab, fill out the information, submit it to us, and we'll give you a call. Or if you'd like to, just call us at the office, 503-224-6200, and we'd love to chat with you about the property. Now, let's get into the show. This is the Portland Real Estate Podcast. Your number one place for anything you need to know about the Portland real estate market, along with in-depth interviews from our local real estate industry experts. Now, without further ado, here are our hosts, Tucker Merrihue from TTM Development Company and Steve Nassar from Premier Property Group. Welcome, everybody. This is the Portland Real Estate Podcast. We're doing it today on my wall because we've got technical difficulties. Some of you guys may have seen that before, but uh, Joe's going to share it into Masters. This is meant to be a live show in the Masters group, but uh, hey, we'll get it there. But uh, without further ado, I want to intro my co-hosts as we stumble through our tech issues this morning. Uh, Welcome, Joe. Welcome, Steve. What's going on, guys? Hey, guys. Hey. Hey, good to be back. You were saying it's uh, it's not a sunny day. It's supposed to be sunny, hopefully later. I've actually got some plans to tee off here in an hour or two, a couple hours, a few hours, early this afternoon, two o'clock. So, but yeah, good to be back. Joe, you're in the office. You're working away. Working away in the office. All right. I just shared it. So let's uh, make sure we're doing this with a reason, right? Uh, I'm going to make sure it's in masters and working. Uh I think we all did. So, okay. Yay. We get it there? We yep. made it? You know, you know what's cool, guys? Um, it's on my – I shared it too. So maybe this is the way to do it. It might be. We, we stumbled we, across we, it. Yeah, because yeah, now it's live on my wall. It's live on Joe's wall. Joe, share it to your wall too, in addition to Masters. So now oh, it's, yeah. in four, it's in four places live. It's my wall, Tucker's wall, Joe's wall, and, and Masters. That's okay. awesome. That's a you, big you audience. You won't be able to get away from us. <laughs> <laughs> this That's is great. Right. It's That's in Masters right. live too. That's right. Okay. All right. Well, we figured it out. It's Portland Real Estate Podcast for anybody to know. We've got a great show for you guys this week. Um, it's been a few weeks since we've done a show, but uh, we went through a number of different posts uh, within Masters that we're going to talk about today, as well as just kind of a general, let's call it crazy market overview, because uh, the market is, you know, I don't know what's going on, to be honest with you, but we'll unpack that a little bit. And uh, of course, we got to do that all before Steve goes and does his tee off here. And I would. Oh, you, you're, we're good. We're good. Okay. <laughs> we're good. All right. So with that said, let's dive into it, guys, because I looked at uh, or let's talk about the market a little bit before we go through some posts. Um, You know, I looked at the most recent market action report and I will say not much changed from the one previous to it. Uh, But the one thing that was noteworthy and this, of course, is, you know, in the rears, they report these things. But we still had 0.8 months of inventory, if memory serves correctly. What are you guys feeling about the market right now? What's your up-to-date kind of take on it based on being out in the trenches? Um, 
Well, I mean, last week was a big week outside of real estate. It, I'll be honest with you, I didn't expect the end of COVID, and, and I know it's not over. So, so I'll be, I'll say end of COVID, but you guys know what I mean. I, I didn't expect COVID to wind down as dramatically and quickly as it feels like it's doing. I kind of, and and it's going to still be around for a while, but um, I kind of expected it to be this like slow play of six months where, you know, you're kind of, this state's open, this one's not, this one, you know, and, but last week, this, you know, with that CDC um, release of, you know, if you're vaccinated, um, you, uh, you don't need to wear your masks around other people that are vaccinated. And, and then, and then the saying, you know, it's an honor system and, and the president saying that it really put a lot of momentum to kind of a reopening, if you will, um, including surprisingly, um, our governor, right? I mean, she quickly came out, which, which was, you know, pretty surprising. And there, there could be changes to that. And the, the, the story's not over yet. But um, so in that context, it's hard for me to imagine that's not going to have some impact on real estate, which has benefited so tremendously from, you know, the stay at home play, if you will, which we've been in for a year and several months now, um, which has made, as we all know, homes so important. It's brought down interest, mortgage interest rates. Um, and just just lit a fire under our industry. Um, to an- so to answer your question specifically, I think a couple of our listings sat longer than we expected last weekend, had a little bit less activity. Ones that we would have expected multiple offers come Monday, didn't even have one offer. Now, Monday, we got a decent offer that we had to counter on. And I think we ended up at full price. But um this is a listing in Villa Bois, 550 Master on the Main that we we expected three to five offers, you know, based on recent activity and, and data and, 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 you know, experiences. Um, so now we also had a really nice weekend, right? So we had the reopening, we had beautiful weather. Um, and I'm not saying the market's suddenly bad, but, but, I don't know. I think I think there's going to be a lot of competition for real estate. I think I think people want to get out. I think they want to travel. I know they want to travel. I personally, since our last show, went to Palm Desert for oh, six days, um, and <laughs> we were looking around the airport and we're like, "This is not a slow airport." Like I did not see any evidence of you know anemic activity in the travel space and that was before last week right that was two three weeks ago um so you've got people traveling you've got people i bet i have a hunch people are going to start going out and shopping again maybe getting some new clothes maybe because they're going to go start being around other human beings again more frequently um i bet you know there's a lot of other things outside of the home that people are thinking about now um, sporting activities. The Blazers are now talking about. I didn't I see today that forty percent capacity. I think so, is what I. Yeah. I think the latest. Um, Multnomah County is now at sixty five percent vaccination rate, which gives them quite a bit of ability to to be you know have high capacity. Washington County's there. Um, so you've got the competition to real estate, in my opinion, of 
the time that people would spend otherwise in real estate and then the money, right? If your dollars aren't going, if your dollars are going to cars and, and clothes and blazers and going out and travel, that's less dollars for housing, right? And, and beyond even buying a house, perhaps even, you know, Home Depot and other components to housing. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see a, a little steam come out of, you know, our, our industry. What do you think, Tucker? Well, you know what? I had an interesting thing happen yesterday and I posted this on Facebook maybe a couple of weeks ago, but um, this is kind of a secondary factor, let's call it, right? Like there's the, your traditional market of, of home buyers, right? And home sellers, but the cost of construction has gone through the roof. And we had just to kind of put a little context on this for you guys, we had a bid for um, the trusses for one of our projects that we're building right now. And we got this bid three weeks ago. And we went to say, hey, can you deliver those trusses uh, yesterday? You know, we'd like to, you know, move forward with it. That bid went up 70% in three weeks. 70%. So the, so the cost of trusses is through the roof? Through the roof. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Through the roof. Yeah, there you go. Right. So that's a factor too. Um, and I'll tell you what, that takes a little bit of steam out of my sales in terms of like, you know, being really excited to, to build houses because, you know, we're still doing it obviously, but um, literally there's two different types of battles we're fighting right now on this front. One is we have the, the material costs that are jumping through the roof uh, in a lot of cases. But then we have everybody else that is seeing that costs are jumping through the roof and they want to pile on the bandwagon and they feel like they should get a piece of this, you know, dramatic increase in costs and not the porta potty guy. Stuck. Yeah. <laughs> and so you've got, we're fighting everybody on, on basically gouging right now. Um, if their costs truly aren't going up. So either they're truly going up or they want to kind of lump themselves into that category so that they can push their costs up a rather significant amount as well. So, that worries me a little bit on that front. I will say just on general, like um, inventory levels, I scan, you know, the market every single day just to kind of get a feel for how much is on the market. And I do feel like there's been a bump in inventory in the last week. Um, a lot of people are, you know, putting their homes to market and, you know, more collectively and maybe they have places to go. Maybe they'll figure that out, but they're putting them out at some pretty high numbers and, you know, people are starting to want to cash in their lottery tickets, which I knew would happen at some point. Um, but as you said, Steve, inevitably, you know, the party has to slow down a little bit, right? It can't go full steam ahead forever. And I don't know where that line is, but you know, maybe we're getting a little closer to it. That's kind of what it feels like to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, well, and, and, and I, I was being serious too, cause Tucker, you made a post on Facebook recently where you, <laughs> you showed the, um, the the bill that came from your porta potty guy and what's his name it's it was a hilarious name willie make it yeah <laughs> willie make it willie make it and he was like like you said jumping on the bandwagon he's like well 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 shit's up i'm <laughs> i'm getting in on that um so yeah literally uh no it's it, let's and let's talk about that let that's called inflation guys um and it's here i mean it was interesting three months ago, two months ago, you know, probably a, a, a couple shows ago, 
we were kind of in the early stages of, of, of going, what is going on with housing? What is this? And is this inflation? Oh, you know, I was Googling inflation because we've never had inflation in our lifetimes. Um, last real big hyperinflation scenario was in the late 70s or 80s. I, you know, I was on the floor playing with match, you know, matchbox cars uh, at that time. But um, but so so we were kind of asking, is this happening? Well, in, in the months since then, you can't turn on CNBC without hearing that word. 20 times in an hour. And I will also add, while there's a lot more talk about it and, and, and high level and high speculation that it's here, the data hasn't fully, fully shown that. And I am concerned that when it does, you will see, I mean, if we see an, a, a, a CPI consumer price index number that spikes to say four or 5%, how, how do mortgage rates not fly up? It's just not possible. And by the way, I, I watched an interesting thing recently on CNBC. Right now, the CPI is up 4% year over year. But what the, why that's not as bad as it sounds like is because, remember, a year ago was April of 2020 and everything was constricted. So the year over year is 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 not very you know accurate in its portrayal. But but so there, the, the numbers, and, and that's kind of why the Fed has says it's it's um, transit transitory, where it's you know it's it's just temporary. But I just don't know that it, it's going to be that. Um, there's just so much money in the system. I mean, we've seen it in housing, which isn't in those numbers, by the way. Um, so I think that could be a, a big hammer that drops on housing, and really slows it down. Is if we if we were to see mortgage rates fly up to five, six percent. I mean, I know that doesn't seem like a high number, but when you have a housing market where prices are sky high and affordability is based on rates being at three percent or lower in recent months and years, then it, it's a it's a wet blanket for sure. Did you see that article that was put out? I forget where it was, but the uh, old head of WAMU uh, did an interview and he basically echoed the same things. He said, if, if mortgage interest rates get, you know, four and a half, five percent, um, you know, that's going to be a pretty major e-break on the real estate market. And, and it's going to put some downward pressure on pricing. And Absolutely. I agree. I, I definitely yeah. agree because, you know, we've had cheap money for a long time and it's it's cooked into kind of the value of a lot of these assets, in my opinion. Yeah, totally. Totally. So, so yeah. I got something to add there. There's like so much going on right now in our market. And what's really frustrating is there's a lot of realtors out there that don't really look past the deal or they don't look past tomorrow. They're just worried about, hey, I, you know, I this is the fifth offer I wrote for these buyers or, hey, uh, my listing had, you know, six offers. They don't really try and unpack what's happening What's, what's happening in the next three months? What's happening in the next six months? So the things to consider right now is we have stupid low rates, a huge deficit in inventory, 0.8 of a month is what we have. If there's no new inventory, no new construction, no new listings, we will get rid of all of our inventory, deplete it fully in about three weeks. So that's like stupid weighted on the, on the seller side. 
we had the forbearance law uh, got lifted, Cinco de Mayo. We have sellers not selling for the first reason I've ever heard in my 30 years, because they don't want to sell because they have nowhere to go, right? That's how difficult it is to, to find a house. There are other people thinking, hey, I'm going to jump on this bandwagon and I'm going to I'm going to go fishing for stupid money. So there are people getting in on the market saying, hey, this is my my big payday. Even though there's activity happening out there, if a broker has to write five offers for someone to make it stick, if you have five things in escrow then you've written 25 offers. That's a hell of a lot of wasted time trying to, to make that stick. As well as all of this that's going on, the building costs are going through the roof, right? It really doesn't make sense uh, in, in some situations for a builder to build that house or a buyer to absorb that cost and pay more for that house in some circumstances. Um, there has been a bump in inventory uh, recently. And I think because the rates are so low and our inventory is so low, we're gonna be a little bit more of the same bulletproof for the next three, six months. But I think the light at the end of the tunnel might be a freight train. Um, <laughs> and, and I'll tell you a little bit more about uh, the lift, what the forbearance lifting does. That's one of our topics today. But you know you have inflation when the dude at 7-Eleven said he just bought an investment property, right? The guy that makes $55,000 a year and he bought an, an investment property. You know inflation is happening. And so the difference between 3% where anyone and their brother can afford a house, if, if three goes to four, you just increased your rate by 33% on top of what it was. When we were at six, and if it went from six to seven, I mean, that's like shooting a barge with a BB gun, right? But the difference between three and four is massive. And so uh, there's gonna be a little shell game that's going on that will be hidden from the public because I'll be the first one to tell you a lot of the stuff everybody's reading is bullshit. Um, and this is when I talk to the guy who, who is the number one in the country for REOs. Matter of fact, have you guys seen that movie uh, Billions? Uh, the 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 TV series? Show. Yeah, the TV show. Yeah. Yeah. Great show. Yeah. yeah, it was modeled after him, but uh, he did REOs instead of stock, but it was sort of modeled uh, after him. And we sat down and had lots of conversations in Arizona and the REOs are coming, but it's not gonna, it's not gonna be like 2008. There's a different strategy. And I'll, I'll tell you that when we get to the forbearance thing, but um, all you people who have a house, that isn't perfect for you and you have thought about selling, let's do it right now. You'll thank me later. <laughs> mm -hmm. By I'm the way, there is an update. That forbearance law was extended June 30th. Uh, it was on Kate Brown's desk yesterday. I, I know this because I have a short sale with a foreclosure looming. Yeah. And um, just yesterday, the, the, the house, and this I'm talking Oregon right now, passed um, an extension till June 30th. It was 
prior. Yeah. And but, um, but what it means is there there's people out there in default in any any market. There's always 10 percent forbearance, we, 10 percent sure. uh, foreclosure. It's not publicized, though, because the so the banks are forced to report uh, and the banks don't want to go through 2008 again. So if a bank is forced to report that A, makes them look bad, B, it gives them trouble uh, for trying to find money, and uh, C, they don't want to go through the lawsuits. So forbearance means someone's in default, but you just can't act on it. So once they yeah. do lift it for the final time, once they get to 90s, 90, 120 days late, they are selling to hedge fund guys. And hedge fund guys don't care, and they don't have to report. And so the bank doesn't have, hey, all these foreclosures on their on their ducket because they're selling them at 60 cents on the dollar and the hedge fund guys are going to flip them. So mm -hmm. uh, the builders and the investors like us probably won't even get a shot at it. Uh, by the time you hit the nods list, notice of deficiency, it's too late, right? Every Everyone and their brother, I buy cheap houses, I buy ugly houses, you know, uh, you got to get it before then. But that's going to affect what happens in the long term. Mm -hmm. An interesting thing that I, I brought up to you guys, and we had kind of a chat about it, but to kind of further the the hedge funds driving the market point. And Steve, we kind of joked that like, I felt like I was the guys <laughs> going to Florida in the big short looking around going, we might have something going on here, right? Um, but and he goes, I think in the movie, he went to a strip club and she told him she owned like four houses or something like that. Wasn't yeah, it? Wasn't yeah, that? Yeah, and that's when he's like, houses. okay, there's, there's some froth in this market. And, and what, you know, what I found out and, and Joe, you knew this as well, cause you had some, you know, fairly in-depth conversations with some of these same people while you were in Arizona is that some of these, I don't want to say some, a, a number of these hedge funds um, are buying based on a yield. And that yield actually means they can pay more and substantially more than what true market value is for a lot of these houses. So that's another driver in pushing prices up and they're buying the yield they're buying on is sub 4%, um, which seems crazy. Um, and so, you know, it begs the question of, do they know something we don't or do they not know a lot of things? And we, I don't know what the answer is to that, but that's a, a hell of a driver on, on some of these markets kind of continually pushing value up as well. So there's, a, there's just a lot of factors at play right now um, from construction costs to inventory, to interest rates, to inflation. Like, I feel like it's a giant blender of what the hell do we make of this? And um, you know, it's hard to decipher, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it, um, it cannot sustain what we're doing. Uh, sure. Lumber prices and when the forbearance is lifted and stupid prices and uh, we will have to plateau. And you'll notice like when you list, uh, I mean, people are going to think the market sucks because you list a house and you only have three offers on it in 24 hours. Right. Uh, I'm starting to see the the signs of of the inflation taking hold in our market. Yeah. And, and by the way, I welcome the slowdown. To, I mean, to some extent, right? I mean, the, this is not a, a healthy market. It's not a fun market. Um, and it's not good for our industry. It's not good. It's not good for, for, for realtors to have the perception of the masses being that the houses sell themselves and it's so easy. Um, I don't, 
I know builders are not happy if it's which is which seems, you know, it seems counterintuitive because this is probably the best housing market of all time is what I've heard many say. But I was watching on CNBC where a lot of the a lot of builders are just sitting on lots and they're not breaking ground or they're they're stopping at framing because of the, the chaos with the supply lines and um, the costs. And and it's it's hard to. I think they just want it to, you know, they don't care. I think, and you, you know this better than anyone, Tucker, but when your costs are just doing this, it's really scary. I mean, it'd be different if the costs were just high and then they stabilize. Now, fortunately, I have heard in the last week there has been a little bit of stabilization in lumber. And I think there's also a lot of speculation in lumber, too, which is part of the lumber futures. And there, there's some weird stuff going on with that. What do you think, Tucker? I mean, it's been snapping back and forth. Um, but as I, you know, went back to my my trusses story, like you know, uh, lumber <laughs> on paper hasn't jumped a ton. It's gone up and down in the past week. But I had a seventy percent increase in three weeks from a bit on trusses, oh right? So like, so you can understand why some of these builders, you know, when they're building, let's call them more entry level houses with thinner margins, they just go screw it. We're not breaking ground, right? And we got a new, we got a bid from our excavation company. That's up. 30%, uh, lumber's up 30%. The the outhouse guy wants another 30% cause you know, apparently chlorine tablets cost more money now. So like, you know, you can see why people are just pumping the brakes but then that's another factor at play, right? Because now we have less new inventory that is going to come online down the line um, and how that factors in yet, I don't totally know but man, it's like a giant blender of just different factors and how they're all mm -hmm. going to whip together and what we're going to, you know, be serving for the smoothie on the other side. I'm not really sure yet, but, um, it's, it's very different than last time. I'll put it that way, Steve, because it last time, at least in, in hindsight, it made sense what happened and maybe mm -hmm. in hindsight this time, whatever happens will make sense too. But, you know, you, we've all been in this a long time and the only thing we can collectively agree on is it will have to slow down at some point, And we think, interest rates will be the driver on that, but how this all kind of fuses together. Yeah. You, you made a great analogy. It just made me think of it. It's like a smooth, you're making a smoothie. The market is the smoothie and you see these kind of bad ingredients going in and you're like, how can this taste good when this is over? Right. It kind of makes me think of that. Like, like there's just, I, and, and this isn't my opinion. I, there's a lot of really savvy people out there in our industry that are like, I don't know that this is going to have a great ending, right? Um, one way or another. So um, the smoothie analogy is good. I mean, we it's still happening. It's still being made, but there's some ickiness going into that blender. <laughs> it feels like it. It sure feels like it. So Yeah, and I'm seeing a lot of I, – I, I was on a panel this week for the OAM, OMBA, um, Oregon Association Mortgage Brokers, OAMB. And um, I, I mentioned I'm seeing a lot of smart money sell their primary residences. And there's a couple people on this podcast <laughs> who I consider to be pretty smart, who who, who are in that um, situation or they're in discussions or, you know, thinking about things. So, yeah, um, that's that's usually a, a telling you know sign as well. Um, so to your point, Joe, I mean, people who are thinking about selling, get your house on the market and. We the inventory we welcome that inventory and we welcome you know some a spike in inventory we think maybe even 
you know, if, if that happens in the right way, it could neutralize things a little bit without having it. Because I think the the higher and higher the prices keep going, the you know the uglier that that smoothie is going to taste when it's when it happens or when when it's done. If we can kind of just stabilize things here and um, get more inventory out, gives us a better chance at a soft landing. I'll say that. Well, every every market has uh, there's always a jerk in every market, right? <laughs> and right now, you can consider, look, you know, sellers are king of the hill right now. Uh, we ask whatever we want. We get a bunch of offers. It goes over ask. It's really stupid. People are guaranteeing appraisals. They're not appraising, right? The moment uh, any form of panic sets in, it turns like that. So when yeah. there's, if there's bubble talk or rates go up or houses go on the market and, and they stop selling and people are noticing inflation, then the buyers become the jerks and it's like, okay, that house is a million two ninety five, and I bet in two years I'll pick that up for nine fifty, right? So you kind of want to do all your actions while people are just sort of worrying about their day to day stuff and not really analyzing what might it look like in six months. And look, I sold my house of sixteen years. I mean, it happened to be way too big uh for me but um you know i'm glad i did and my recommendation for people is hey if you if you want to sell people are getting paid so sell that sucker and you know there's always that objection i have nowhere to go so what go rent something right you don't have to buy you can't you can't simultaneously sell high and buy low in the same market right? So sell, cool your heels, rent a little place, you know, maybe you have a view of a meadow or a lake or something, just Airbnb. Yeah. Spend some time to figure out what you want, what you really, really want. And, you know, maybe you're going to be rewarded <laughs> with uh, a lower price and, you know, more inventory to choose from. So I, I had a realization. Go ahead, Steve. I had a realization recently, um, and I don't know what made me think of it. I, I've had a few sellers who who were just, they were happy to get out of the market and, and do well, right? And before anything changed, and, and they, they felt like they, they, um, they, they just felt good about their timing. Like, okay, whew, I got an offer, it closed, you know, I, I got top dollar. And I had the realization that, you know, we are going, us three, and all of our listeners and masters, we are going to be in this market when it changes, you know, whether that's t next week or next year or six months from now, we're going to have clients. We're going to be in this market when, when it changes, um, how dramatic that change will be. We're all going to, we're all going to find out together. We're not because, and, and, and what made me that realization was like these sellers who are selling and then going, okay, good. I got there and doing what you did, Joe, they're, they're like, stepping out of the market it's like you know they're 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 going off and and the market's behind them and you know they might read an article here or there or read a headline but but we we have a front row seat to this this movie and um it's unfolding and it will continue to unfold so it'll be interesting um i don't know if that's good or bad i just it's, it's just a realization that well, we're uh, on the topic of what's our market doing. We're guilty of someone asking us the time and we told them how to build a watch. 
<laughs> so <laughs> we should probably get on to our topics uh, if we uh, plan on getting out of here on time. Tucker, you had one more thing. You remember it? No, I'll keep us moving forward. I, I, okay. We exhausted okay. the topic. Um, we don't really know, but, uh, you know, we'll see what happens, right? We'll leave it at that. So, but, uh, all right. So, this movie's turning brown. <laughs> yeah. Kidding. So, the first topic uh, <laughs> that we want to burn through, it's kind of tied in. Joe, I don't know if you want to take this one. Um, it was forbearance inventory, I guess, and, and how yeah. that could affect things. So, uh, yeah, Sarah O'Reilly. Um, brought this up 16 hours ago we got a fair amount of comments uh do you think the end of the mortgage forbearance will cause a lot of homes to come on the market um well so the forbearance it sounds like got extended but whether you're it's extended or not forbearance means there are actively people in default and they're just not getting foreclosed upon because they sort of have a little bit of amnesty but when that's lifted they're not going to make up for all of those months, right? I mean, I know there are things they're talking about taking that deficit, adding it to the back end of the loan, giving people 40-year loans, doing all that stuff. So there are mod things that they can do, but I don't think the general public is going to see the, the forbearance properties on the market. I think hedge fund guys, there's so such a massive amount of money out there that the hedge fund guys are going to buy it up and they're not going to be foreclosed upon. Uh, at best, they'll be short. So uh, they'll sell short or the banks will peel them off to the hedge fund guys. And we won't see it until the hedge fund guys put lipstick on it and then want to ask 110 uh, you know, percent of what it's worth on the market after they, you know. Now here's another uh, wrinkle to that, Joe. And this is what I found out is a lot of these hedge funds are not looking to turn these properties over. They're attempting to turn us into a more of a renter nation. So there is, there is the possibility that a lot of this inventory, if it goes that direction, let's say, just for argument's sake, that it may be absorbed and it may sit in this you know long-term rental cycle where it just becomes a yield for money so that's a, a possibility as well i think the um you know once it's lifted there i think the likelihood of it just being a shit show is pretty low i think they will probably re-amortize that you know accrued debt let's say um over the back end of the loan um but if there are some things that you know would push people to sell you know, there's still the fact that a lot of these people probably have a fair bit of equity in today's market. They have to. They yeah. have to. Yeah. So they could very easily just call <laughs> one of you guys and say, sell the damn thing and I'll take mm -hmm. my hundred grand and clear the debt and move on with my life. So, I mean, that's a, a strong possibility as well in a lot of these cases. So, again, kind of a smoothie of I don't know what exactly could happen, but I think those are probably the two likely options. Yeah, like if you take a scenario where somebody say they bought a house minimal down, that's the other thing is most people put money down when they bought their houses. So say somebody bought a house in 2019, put a minimal amount down, say three and a half to five percent. Um, and let's say the 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 um, the pandemic has just been horrific for them. They've lost their job. They can't make their payments. They're in the year since the pandemic began here in our market appreciation is over 16%. It's around 16%. So on your average house, 
you know, even a five hundred thousand dollar house, it's now, you know, worth something like five seventy, five five eighty. Um, plus they put their five percent down, so they they might have some you know payments and arrears, but they should you you you'd have to think they they can get out of it. They can get out of it, or at least break even. Um, and that's that's like an example of somebody bought in nineteen, right? I mean, imagine somebody that bought in you know fourteen or fifteen or sixteen. Um, they do have that much more equity. So that was a common thread in this post was that there is equity out there. There was even comments like. You know, Barbara Roach, let's hope we need the inventory. And, and we kind of joked about that earlier. Um, I personally don't think it's going to be doom and gloom with the um, with with the forbearance coming due. I, ha I, I, I do have a short sale coming up um, and I, I work with a, a short sale negotiator, Bill Kimmer. Those I think exist. a lot of our you sure those exist these days. <laughs> well, no, that, that's my story. That's my story. So. Um, Bill Kimmer, he, he's a short sale negotiator. I've worked with him for, gosh, nine years. Um, and uh, he, when I first started in the business, it was 70% of my, my business. It was 70% of all our business, right? In 11, 12. Um, and then it quick, you know, dwindled over the years to where now it's been, you know, zero <laughs> pretty steadily with the exception of a really fluke situation once a year or every couple of years. And uh, I reached out to him because this person had this person has a judgment on their house. OK, let, let's be clear. Their first mortgage is totally fine and and um, and and above water. But um, look, they owe less than the house is worth on their first mortgage. Let's put it that way. Um, but they have a judgment on the house. So I reached out to Bill and, and he said he said to me, he said, you know, when the forbearance happened a year ago, his phone just stopped ringing. I mean, there was no need for anybody to do a short sale completely. He said, it's starting to ring again. He's starting to get some, some, some calls. I'm one of several people he's suddenly talking to now that the forbearance is looming people who maybe do have unique situations and, and have been living in the house for free are starting to look to do some things. So you will see some short sales come on potentially. In most cases, there's probably some type of external situation, legal situation or or lean situation. But um, yeah, it'll be interesting to watch for sure. I think bottom line is I don't know that it's really going to do too much. I think the two likely outcomes are re-amortize the debt on the back end of the loan or Call one of you guys to sell the property. Um, yeah, and yep. this is this is primarily only the blue collar type, uh, lower range. Um, the people that were affected, you know, you can't make money when you're a waiter and you know the restaurant goes tits up because of uh, COVID or anything. There's so many businesses. It's so sad. You know, I I we have three offices and I drive to them and it's like every time I go, it's like. Oh, hey, that fa place is no longer there. You know, that sandwich place is closed down. That bar is closed. And they're the ones that are going to be affected. Um, there are some levels of wealth out there that they're going to be isolated from any market. Whatever the market does doesn't affect them at all. I think we're talking sub 500, 500 and less is going to be, I think, the majority of these properties in trouble. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I tend to agree with you there for sure. Um, 
but yeah, I wish there are a couple of good sandwich places. I wish we're still in business. I'll tell you that. Cause I, I love a good sandwich, but <laughs> yeah. Part of the car. Yeah. 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 Well, let's move well, on. Let's go, let's the next go to yours, one. Joe. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, so we unpack a lot of stuff in masters um, and we talk about ethics and we talk about procedure and we talk about all kinds of stuff. And this is sort of to bring it fresh in people's mind about uh, what's appropriate and what's not. And so the question I posted just yesterday, and it already has like 117 comments is, is it inappropriate to call or text agents before or after uh, certain hours, or is it the agent's own responsibility to turn off their phone or their notifications when they want privacy? And we got a mixed bag here of uh, <laughs> comments. Almost right down the middle, right? Almost exactly down the middle. Yeah. Which is interesting. Yeah. And so look, here's, here's my philosophy on that. Um, if I'm writing an offer for some people, it's my job to make contact with that broker, which means I'm probably going to send you an email, which everybody, no one has a problem with email. I mean, your computer doesn't make this screeching noise every time an email comes in, but phone calls and texts, people aren't usually on top of it, but I'm doing all three. And I'm probably going to Facebook stalk you too, because my job is I got to get a hold of you. And if you're one of these people that don't check emails and that's all I did was send you an email, I'm not doing my job to make sure my guy's in the hunt and you know about it. So I will text, I will email. And if it wakes you up, that's on you. That's how I look at it. You know, turn it off if you don't want to hear it. Right. And, uh, uh, we had this discussion before and I mean, I do the same thing. If I get a text and at, you know, one in the morning that I should consider getting an extended car warranty and it wakes me up, that's on me, right? I got to silence that stuff. And uh, that's how I look at it. And if someone's pissed at me for trying to reach out at all different hours, then, you know, it doesn't affect my life sorry, but uh, my job is to notify you, right? Uh, so that's how I look at it. What do you guys mm -hmm. think? I'm going to test this theory. I'm going to send you guys some slightly inappropriate pictures at 1.30. Uh, <laughs> um, it really, really was split right down the middle. I think there's 118 comments. I'm pretty confident that like, what, 69 of them are don't do it and 69 are like, screw you turn your phone off i'm pretty summarizing short and shortening the, the the statements but um which tells me that both sides are probably right okay and so i my take on it is this uh don't be don't do it um i i mean you know but have grace if someone does it i mean there's probably my answer in other words yeah Use discretion. If 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 it's if it's not a reasonable time where you would call the general public or text the general public or or normally expect a text to come in, maybe you shouldn't do it. But if somebody does it to you, don't don't fly off the lid the handle and and assume that it's an ethics violation and that you should 
report them to OREA and my gosh, I mean, let it go. So, so what? Um, it was, I mean, I think people are getting a little carried away. There was, <laughs> it kind of cracked me up. There was a post that said, uh, there was about 10 different posts, let's be clear, where they were basically laying out the hours. <laughs> and what, so one guy is saying, you can call to eight, you can text to nine, but email anytime. And then someone else is like, well, you can call to 7.30, text to 8.30. I mean, and I'm like, are we really as an industry going to try to come up with those rules? Or So so it's really, there is no rules is, is the answer, but just use some common sense. Um, I agree. You, you, you should be able to email any time of the day. I agree with that. Now, if you want to look, I have had times where I was behind on emails. I couldn't sleep. I woke up, you know, at three in the morning. I generally will turn off my inbox. And then when I wake up, you know, at eight in the morning, I'll turn it back on. So all of a sudden, all those emails flood out. Um, you don't have to do that, though. And I don't think I, I, that's just something I did. I, I do it more so I don't look like a wacko in the middle of the night. That, that's, that's that does happen, like, right? When I get emails <laughs> at like two in the morning, I'm like, what are they doing? Are they are they are they messed out over there? Are they like what 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 are they on? That they're running around doing emails in the middle of the night. Yeah. Um. So I I do it for that reason. I don't do it because I'm worried that their inbox is going to make noises. I mean that's on them if to, to make sure their emails aren't dinging them all night. Um. But with with calls and texts, yeah, it is a little bit different. And I try to use some discretion, you know, after certain hours. I'm not even going to pretend to say the hours. That's that was my point. I think trying to to dictate those hours is very subjective. Just use common sense. And I think, you know, and then if and then again, have grace when somebody steps out of what you think. It, that's the point. If one agent is thinks they know the rule and it's seven o'clock after that you can't call and another one thinks it's eight o'clock well now these two people who have who are, are agreeing on one thing are disagreeing at 7 30 when one gets a call and i just don't think that's a the rules of the road for you know a cooperative industry <laughs> so i think the the dealing with a buyer pissed off whose offer didn't get presented because the broker didn't know about it or me making sure that broker knows about it and they're a little pissed off because I sent them a text at 11 p.m. or something. I'm going to take that one every single time. And I, I think the main theme of like our last 14 months is everybody's got to take a little pressure out of the tires. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. yeah. People walking around that just really need to take about 50% off. I was yeah. at uh, Tumwater uh, Vineyard la Winery last night, and uh, I got all the way there, and I forgot my stinking mask, and um, and I'm like, oh, did you man. pull your sock off? <laughs> yeah, and, and so I walk in there, and and the lady said, well, you know, there's people that are vaccinated and people that aren't vaccinated, and we just have a rule that if you're inside and standing you have to have a mask on, but if you're sitting and she was like, so apologetic. And I just said, Hey, no problem. You know, I'm not aggressive about it. I honestly don't care. It's really my only decision is, do you have a temporary mask I could wear or am I walking back to my car? But you know, I'm not gonna, 
get all fired up and start, you know, group chats about what they made me do and they made me put on the mask. And I think it's everything we do about brokers getting super aggro about everything. We really need to chill out a little bit, you know, yeah. and the, the my appointment was for 2.30 and someone was there and and they didn't leave until 2.50 so that we only had 10 minutes. And I mean, we all work together. We're going to get through it. Um, things are constantly changing. So let's just try and help each other as much as possible. And, and every hill doesn't have to be the, the one you're going to die on, right? <laughs> Pick your battles. Yeah. So I like it. Good quote. I love it. I love it. Yeah. All right. Well, let's, let's move on to our third one because this one was lightning in a bottle um, in Masters this week. Steve, Joe, which one of you guys wants to take this one and kind of summarize it? Or um, I'll, I'll pull it up and read it. This is one of the posts that I think had the most comments possibly of all time. Possibly. Definitely. We've had more than that, but that's one of the Have top 10s. Oh, sure. yeah. It's up there. Yeah. 289 comments, 167 likes. Ross Seligman. Um, it's about Portland. Um, get ready. Hi, everyone. I'll summarize it. It's pretty long. But basically, he had a client. They were purchasing near Laurelhurst Park, which I just sold a house. It closed. Um, it wasn't on the park, um, fortunately, I think. <laughs> that's, the, that's the funny part of this conversation is that park was quite an amenity in the recent past. I mean, that was like the place to be was on that park. Now, I had a house just a couple blocks from the park, kind of like by the um, Peacock Lane over there um, where the Christmas lights happen. Um, and he, he, he was an escrow with representing buyers on the park. They walked away from earnest money, $9,500, because of the condition of the park, the homeless situation, I believe some press that came out about it and how there was no plans to do anything with it. Um, and, you know, his general question was, are any of you directly seeing people decide that Portland is not a place they want to move after all? How are you navigating this with clients? How on earth are we getting to a point where people don't want to live in Laurelhurst, which is back to what we were talking about just a second ago. Remember when being near the park was a selling point. Um, and uh, I don't I don't know that I know Ross super well, but he's a downtown agent, I believe. Um, he's with Living Room Realty and they do a lot in the inner core. So it, it, sometimes I've, my experience has been a lot of times with those downtown agents, they tend to minimize um, the issues. Uh, I've noticed he's not doing that. Um, so I thought that was interesting. Whereas us suburb people, Joe, you, me, Tucker, we kind of, we kind of, you know, we, we, we're pretty, you know, annoyed with Portland. And so we, we kind of jump on the bandwagon of, you know, the, the problems. A lot of times the Portland people kind of defend and say, well, it's not as bad as, as you're making it out to be. That was not the case here. There was 289 comments. Um, are you, let's let's start with the the first question. I mean, Joe Tucker, are you hearing of Portland having slowdowns um, with sales or less competition? I mean, that's the 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 crazy part to me is it it, it doesn't feel that way yet, but it's hard to imagine it's not coming, right? I haven't heard that it's actually slowing, but 
it boggles my mind um, to think that it can't or that it shouldn't. Um, I mean, that encampment there at Laurel Horse Park has got some really bad press because there were some people that got stabbed, I think, and some other things that were, you know, not so nice that happened there beyond just the obvious, uh, you know, drug use and riffraff and tents and feces, you know, just the, the general stuff you get when you get a homeless encampment, right? Um, but I remember, God, we did a project, a couple projects in Laurel Horse back in the day. And you're right, see, that was like, a, it was a selling feature, right? And so part of his point is, how did we get here to the point that, you know, somebody's actually walking away from a home because of something that used to be a strong selling feature? Now it's a huge negative, right? And I don't know, it's, it's, I have to think that at a certain point, we're going to hit a critical mass of like, we just universally say, I don't really like what I'm seeing here. And people may not want to live there. But as far as the stats go, I haven't seen that yet. So it's, again, kind of a blender of like, this doesn't seem right, but this is what is happening. So I don't know. What, what yeah. Do you think, Joe? Well, um, every state has a bad area, right? You know, every, every state has like an Oakland or, or something. And, you know, being close in downtown was kind of sexy for Portland, right? You know, city of bridges, we got uh, rivers, we got some views of Mount Hood from everywhere downtown and lots of cool stuff. And we just happened to have the absolute worst friggin' governor and mayor in the history of uh, Portland. And, uh, uh, you know, Wheeler got uh, reelected and he's lucky because he's like the second worst person on the planet, right? The first worst person was the one he ran against, which is the only reason why people <laughs> voted for him again. But the mismanagement of money and what's happening is Native Oregonians like me are getting pissed and they're like, forget it. You know, I'm going to do my best to try and fix it. And I'm going to fight and I'm going to fight for the city I love and I'm going to be on a campaign. And it just ain't working because we have the wrong leadership and people are going to Florida, Texas, Arizona. Um, but we still have a big influx coming in. And, you know, there's lots of states out there that the grass is greener somewhere else. Well, sometimes it's greener because there's a septic problem. You know, the person <laughs> that leaves Texas because of a water problem or a money problem or California that has some money problems and water problems, you leave somewhere and then you, you just change your problems for something else, right? Yeah, I'm going to Phoenix, uh, you know, it's great. The weather's great, except for the summer months when you're like under a magnifying glass, like some fat kid is burning bugs with a magnifying glass with the sun because <laughs> it's 120 <laughs> degrees, you know, and, you know, going down south where you have like mosquitoes and bugs the size of your hand. I mean, every state has baggage. Portland has horrible leadership. And to quote Donald Trump, Portland's a shithole right now. And, you know, you asked me what I really felt, right? So this is, yeah, yeah. This is it. It is. I'm not going to stick my head in the sand. I'm not going to not acknowledge it's happening. I know I can't fix it. I've tried. 
And all I'm going to do is we live on the outskirts. Outskirts is kind of popular for real estate right now. And maybe five years, seven years, it's going to turn around and Portland will be the Portland that I love because I've been to lots of places and there's no better summer than Portland, Oregon. The weather is perfect. It's green. We have four distinct seasons. Um, I think it'll come back, but it's going to start with a change of leadership because putting a blanket rule that, hey, any park known to man, you can set up a, a camp and there's needles and, and poop and everything all over the place. I had a, a buddy of mine had an office in the train station and he just said, I have to step over all these people to get to my office. So he, he gave it up. He bought a house. He does his business out of his out of this house. Um, anyway, I do think it affects everything. And um, I can see people, uh, one of our brokers wrote an offer on a, a million and a half dollar house. They got back. Their Range Rover was was keyed and stuff because there was some demonstration. And so they pulled out of the offer and said, forget it. We're out. We're not going to move to Oregon. And uh, anyway, I think it affects people. I don't think anyone's moving close in. I think they're moving outskirt, LO, like us, you know, West Lynn, Oregon City, uh, Wilsonville. They're not. They're not sticking around close. I mean, this. I, I did sell a, a house near Laurelhurst Park, and and it did go with a couple offers. Um, there are people moving there, um, but to, tu to Tucker's point, it defies logic, and 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 I question how long that will continue. And, and um, did you, any of you guys see that sh that that re reporting by Coin on is Portland over that segment they did? Pretty I pretty I in depth. I saw the introduction. I didn't see it though. Yeah, I mean it's. It's hitting mainstream media and our media. And, you know, there was a there was a time uh, I felt like about eight months ago, seven months ago, maybe late last summer when the riots were relatively new, where there was a lot of you to your point, Joe, there was a lot of people putting their head in the sand. They were saying, oh, it's not that bad. Oh, you know, it's just a few square blocks within downtown core. We had somebody or, on the show that tried to say that, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> but uh but the good I, here's here's and I go back and forth. I'm with you, Joe. Like, I mean, I, you know, there's I'm not moving away. OK, I've got a thriving business here. I'm from here. I'm native. I know this area. I love it. It's it's home. My family's here. But so but I'm not going to I'm not going to defend it. And I'm also not upset that the mainstream media is bringing it up, even if it does hurt us and our reputation nationally because i think step number one in fixing any problem is to identify it and and magnify it so the so people see it and so that it affects everyone i i do think that step is occurring i when you read this post and the 289 comments i don't think there's many defending portland i think Whereas even I think even seven months ago, there would have been about a third that were like, well, it's not that bad. You're exaggerating or what some of that other stuff we said. I think 
the pendulum is swinging. My hope is that it swings enough that the masses, even the most blue-blooded liberals go, wait, you know, I don't, this is not what I signed up for. I, you know, I might care about the homeless, but I, I don't want them to make us, our world, their world, right? Um, you know, it's one thing, there's a big difference between compassion and enabling. And Portland has gone way over that line. And, um, and my hope is that the masses, everyone, or, or the, a huge segment of, of the population is going to say enough. Let's fix this. And that will hopefully bring in some different leadership with some new ideas. And, um, and, and they'll be willing to, 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 do, to make tough decisions about the homeless, for example, you know? Um, because, you know, they might have rights and they do, but they don't have the right to ruin our world. That's not okay. Right. Um, that's, so there's a lot going on here, but, uh, and, and I, I will also say, Joe, I, I was, uh, actually chatting with Terry Sprague this, this week. Um, we, we, we talked on the phone for a while. Um, and he's, he's, He's pretty passionate about some of this stuff too, but we, uh, I was, I was like, you know, it's hard for me to imagine that Lake Oswego and Westland are going to thrive if Portland's in the, you know, is a shithole. Right. Um, because for a few reasons, one, um, I mean, it's close to us, um, geographically. I have seen a few panhandlers in Lake Oswego, a few more than usual. They are here. They are here. Yeah. One of them to your point has been here for a long time. So it goes past compassion. Now it's just the corner pays. So he stays. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, it's not that you missed your bus and you're out of money and you need, you need a quick, you know, a couple bucks so you can get home. No, you've made a career out of being on, on a street corner. Um, and um, so we we're geographically close to Portland, but here's the other thing. Like if you're in, you know, Boston or Florida or somewhere and Nike calls you and goes, Hey, we want to give you a job offer. You don't say to yourself, hey, I, I just got a job offer in Beaverton or I just got a job offer in Lake Oswego. Where do you say? You say, I got a job offer in Portland. Okay. So our reputation is smack dab under the reputation of Portland. No differently than if you were to, if, 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 if you were to, um, you know, so if, if somebody, if somebody called you from Millbrae, California or Burlingame, you don't say, hey, I'm going to Burlingame or, or, um cupertino you say i'm going to the bay area i'm going to san francisco right those uh, the big metropolitan maybe here locally we say we think hillsborough we think gresham we think wilsonville we think westland but out there we're portland the whole the whole big blob blob of us so um it will it will spill over to us it needs to be addressed it's a tough tough process but i am pleased the er, we're in the we're in the early stages of rage against it by not by by a lot more people and a lot more exposure to it and i welcome coin and any other news source who cares who cares what it some people 
have tried to say, well, by coin doing that, it's hurting the reputation. The reputation Portland's hurting its reputation. No, <laughs> pointing at the reputation and saying, pointing at Portland and going, this is bad, is not what's hurting the reputation. Being bad is what's hurting the reputation. So, I think it that's that's a good early warning. That's a good early sign of a of hopefully a change. Well said. Yeah. I mean, I think I will. I'll agree that seven, eight months ago, there would have been lots of people going, it's not that bad. And, you know, you're kind of exaggerating things, but I think we're a lot closer to the point of universal recognition of the problem. Right. And, and the sooner we can get there, hopefully the sooner we can get to solving the problem, but that's also going to require subbing out new leadership because I'm sure you guys saw the article this week where one of the local developers offered up 5 million bucks to help clean up downtown Portland. And our mayor couldn't find the time to delegate properly so that somebody followed up with him so that that actually became a reality. And, you know, maybe he had some strings attached to it, but who cares? It's five million bucks to clean up the city, make a phone call and figure it out. Right. Um, so I think that part of fixing this problem hinges on our new leadership. And we're frozen in time a little bit with that until we can give the, you know, don't let the door hit you where the good Lord split you on the way out the door with these folks. So. I don't know. I hope people keep pushing to change it on both sides of the aisle, like you said, Steve, because that's going to be what's needed. Like we we universally agree it's shit out there in a lot of spots and it needs to be cleaned up and it needs to be fixed. And people need to need to make some hard decisions and not be overly concerned with upsetting somebody about doing something right. Nobody's going to be happy all the time, but some tough decisions are going to need to be made in order for Portland to get cleaned up. And, you know, like you, I'm hopeful that it does happen. Um, but we'll see when it happens, right? We're losing lots of good people. We're yeah. losing lots of good people. Good, good business-minded, successful, productive people. I, I, I sold a house today to a, to a very, you know, a, a younger guy our age makes high, high six figures, probably maybe even seven figures. He's out of here. He's he sold, you know, sold a nice house in Twalton for him. And I even texted him when it closed. I, I texted him. And I said, hey, it was a pleasure helping you. I'm so sorry to see you leave Oregon. We need more people like you. And uh, and uh, that scares me that that part. If we don't hurry and do this, we're, we're, we're going to we're going to have a different caliber of people that's going to affect us for a generation. Right. Or, or you know, decades because we need those people. I mean, we need the next Phil Knight here in Portland. We need the next person or, or group or company, you know, people that are going to do good things for this place. So, yeah, it's the productive people <laughs> that Portland needs, not the unproductive people. That and we're, yeah, yeah. And that's, yeah. I think we need to all accept that. And, and, and I think we're closer to it. So, yeah. But anyway, all right. Well, we went for about an hour today with technical difficulties. I think it was some good topics. Good show. Any closing thoughts from you guys before we sign off? Uh, you know, on the Portland thing, um, obviously there's going to there's going to be people that are going to throw rocks at me, right? You can't say anything these days without someone getting their panties twisted. Uh, but being a native, <laughs> I'm pretty coach, sure that statement's one. That of. might. That might. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you know, being, being a native Oregonian, um, and so you have two things, fight or flight, right? I'm not going to flight. My family's here. My business is here. I love Oregon. I love it. I have a vacation place close by. 
I'm not leaving, uh, but what's happening in Oregon breaks my heart. Just absolutely yeah. breaks my heart. So to see all of that stuff going on, it kills me. And I know that I'm not big enough to change it. And I, I know a lot of great people, we were gonna like team up and try and make some changes and, and it just can't happen, won't happen until the leadership changes. And, and what it might take is mm-hmm. as our tax problem uh, pushes entrepreneurs to Washington and our homeless problem pushes people to, you know, Arizona and Texas and, and Florida being the top places. Um, we're going to have to figure it out and clean it up. And um, I don't know if it's a five-year deal or a seven-year deal or what, but I think it will come back, but it, it's it's not going to, you know, be before 2025. Yeah. It, it will be interesting to see. I, I feel like somebody's going to step up in the political scene that in the past would never have been elected. Um, somebody, you know, somebody that's very, uh, my hope would be very moderate or at least, and maybe that has ideas that otherwise probably would never have been accepted, but the, because the pendulum has swung so far, people are like, screw it. I'll take that person to be our leader because, because my, front door has a homeless camp right um and 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 that's it takes it takes almost that kind of rage to 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 fix an issue like this um and yeah i agree with you joe i think it's going to be a while it would be nice to just see it neutralized at least for a while not getting worse progress you know every day um neutralized for a while and then you know hopefully some some plans come in place to to fix it but joe i have to commend you you were on a tear today you did really good you got some great one-liners i mean you were you were just zinging and zanging and and your your analogies your i mean you were you were you had you were you had analogies within your analogy yeah (laughs) i tend to do that I think you even sang a song this was bourbon with a tea bag hanging out of it Awesome. All right, guys. Well, thanks for watching this week. Uh, This week's version of the Portland Real Estate Podcast. Thanks for hanging with us at the beginning with a little bit of technical difficulties. We'll be back again here soon with uh, another show, but uh, everybody enjoy their Friday and uh, we'll catch you on the next one. Thanks again for listening to our show and make sure to tune in next week for another great episode of the Portland Real Estate Podcast.